I hope you're having a fantastic day. I know I am. At the calling in Birmingham. But yeah, just thought I'd uh, send you a video because you are in all of our hearts. You live rent-free in our minds, in the flesh and blood world. Love you lots, mate. See you soon, hopefully. podcast is proudly sponsored by kayfabe cards kayfabe cards is located in riverton utah and is your total hookup for flesh and blood singles and sealed product go to kayfabecards.com and find all of your tcg passions covered from magic one piece pokemon and plenty more kayfabe cards is also bringing you the battle hardened in salt lake city as well as pokemon regionals in the coming year kayfabe is life be who you want to be. The Instant Speed Podcast welcomes a perennial top eight threat to any tournament he attends. He is the first Pro Tour champion out there in New Jersey, as well as a member of the Sunflower Samurai. Welcome to the show. I'm just going to call you this because you exude this energy. The big boss man himself, Pablo Pintor. How are you, Pablo? <laughs> I like I like that just because I love uh, Bruce sprinting. So any kind of reference to him would be would be really nice, you know. Oh the, well, there's the boss, and I know that Tommy Fresh is probably going to be loving this, especially since you won the Pro Tour in New Jersey, which is yeah. Bruce Springsteen's stomping grounds. Yeah, I really wanted to to take a tour there, but uh, I didn't have enough time to just visit so many places in in just a week. It was my first time in in um, New York and there were like so many things to see, things to do, you know, things I have only seen in movies that seemed like worlds apart to me and, and it was like an amazing weekend and then I have the tournament and it was amazing as well, so <laughs> I think it, that, it is, yeah. it, it is a week to remember Well, you almost had all kinds of time that weekend to explore and be a tourist because you started that tournament 0-2, did you not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of a rough start. Uh, I wasn't expecting anything, so um, I don't know how to put this. Uh, I was just completely relaxed. I didn't think I have never thought of myself like a pro player or anything like that. I'm just a guy jamming some some games with his friends, and um, and yeah, I, I went there as an excuse to to you know to visit New York. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie on this one, and uh, I did pretty well. Lost my first two rounds. Yeah, it was. Um, there were some really good games um, against Starvo and, and Amiro against Chain. And uh, yeah, I thought that I was already dead for, for top 8, uh, you know. So I thought that I would just enjoy the rest of the day, play the games as, as best as I could. And, and you know, I was having a blast with my friends there, checking, Hey, how are you doing? I lost one. No, no, you're, you're already out. And where I... Talking with each other there. And, um, and yeah, at the end of the day, I won... All of all of the other games, I ended up the first day X two, and and someone told me, you know, you're you're still alive for 
for top you know, eight. For, for top eight. And it was like, <laughs> impossible. Like, tiebreakers work like this, and they were like, no, no, no. They don't work like that. They check the last game you have lost. So you need to keep winning, you know, until the last moment. You can only drop one game tomorrow. So the next day I was feeling <laughs> much more nervous, but uh, yeah, it, it worked pretty well at, at the end of the day. I have been incredibly lucky in, in a lot of tournaments recently, so... Look, I, I, you want to see, you want to attribute it to luck, and I understand that to a certain degree there is the gem roulette where it depends on who your matchup is and what you're up against. And those early first two or three rounds are so crucial and so pivotal. You have to win those often. But what I like to refer to when I'm casting other tournaments is the fact that the pulling a Pablo is like basically if it has been done in the grandest stage of them all pro tour it has been done where somebody has gone zero and two and won the whole thing so when a lot of people will come up to you know people like to talk to me about their results and and what their matchups are and what their position is etc you know i always tell them i said look nothing changes your strategy in the next game whether you're x1 x2 or whatever you're does this change the fact that you want to win your next game obviously you always want to win your next game and when people say i think there's no chance now i say well mathematically if there's a chance you could make it because pablo pintor ran it back in the most spectacular way possible uh is that in your opinion the the you know, you've won tournaments. You've, you're obviously one of the best players in the world. Winning Pro Tour itself has to be your greatest achievement in the game so far. But when you look back on that win, do you remember the 0-2 and moving forward? Is that a, a big factor in that narrative? Oh, it indeed is. Um, I am not the kind of guy to get like really nervous because of losing some games or, or doing bad in a tournament. It was kind of tilted. I'm not gonna lie. There, um, I was uh, high rolled by by a Starbo. You know, it, it never feels good, but it, it is what what it is. I mean, it was that stage of the game. Decks were extremely powerful and extremely swingy. You know, hitting your your first two three cycles with with good vanishes in in chain was was extremely um, frustrating for your opponent as well. And and yeah, it was. If I hadn't been with my friends, maybe I could have tilted off more, but, you know, you just gather with them in the tournament, have a few loves. <laughs> I got completely rolled. I got crippling crashed, and then, no, I get old, and then, then I died, and everything gloves at you, and <laughs> you carry on with, with your games. And I love it. That, that, that's the thing. Well, that's a that's a great mentality, especially when you have a, a team surrounding you, the Sunflower Samurai. Were you with them at the time? Was that Were you yeah. on that team? Yeah. Um, we weren't uh, referring to us uh, as Sunflower Samurais. Um, actually, my, my team is not all that competitive. Most people look at it and think that we are like the Wolfpack or, or you know, Team Magnolia. This this kind of extremely competitive with really well, good players uh, all around. We are just friends. There are a lot of people in my team that aren't competitive players uh, that will never win anything and, and they are happy with it i mean they are just rolling and having a fun and there are a lot lots of ways of enjoying this this hobby you know there's there's people that just enjoy playing their favorite deck and, and doing this extremely weird move and and that that's okay uh you know we have been friends for so many years um we do have some really good players though 
And uh, and yeah, we carried that name uh, back in our days of Legend of the Five Rings. We used to play that LCG. And uh, here we are. Uh, we have done pretty, pretty well. I got to say, I mean, obviously, you guys have been successful. I've, I've seen teams, you know, the Sunflower Samurais at many many big tournaments i even got to wear the pin one day which uh oh, on stream yeah, which I was remember. awesome love it i love it um now but the calling birmingham is the most recent one obviously you did not win that uh you were you were beaten uh, quite spectacularly i would say against uh, uh, an icelander player um who really really showed you the sort of gave you the screws a little bit because you were in the driver's seat of that match can you just walk us through that final and uh and you know how that what at what point did you feel the most confident and at what point did you feel like it slipped away mm, yeah i was playing as samuel uh, i already played against him in the last round of swiss and he he beat me and uh, i knew he was playing uh, bullander no not uh, this arcane focused build that ria won two battle hardens with the uh, weeks earlier um so i have played that game like hundreds of times but that's assault him things change quite a little bit when you don't have access to crown of seeds to <laughs> to say to save you you know and and get you another blue instead of your instead of your arsenal to to stop more arcane uh, i knew i had to pressure i don't think it is a bad matchup for bravo uh, actually maybe we do have to prepare the deck a little bit more for it i was really heavily touched uh, to beat alexi i thought that alexi was going to be all around the tournament, and she was. She didn't reach the top eight because there was there were more people that followed like me and, and brought Bravo. And but uh, yeah, I was uh, I had higher seeding, so I could choose who started the game. And I thought I needed you know to to keep the tempo in that game, to really pressure. Uh, and uh, there's there's always this trick when playing Guardian against against Icelander is you don't want to eat too much damage because you want them to use their setup tools. You know you want to block either physical or arcane enough that they want to play their frost hex, their insidious chills. They need to slow down a little bit because if you're playing pure value there. Guardian is not the best class for pure value, especially when your opponent can re get rid of their hand uh, at any at any moment. So crippling is not as effective, and and star strike is not as effective. Um, so yeah, uh, I choose to go second that game. I was hoping I don't know for a Celus belting or something like that to to keep the pressure. Um, instead, I got a frost hex on turn zero. <laughs> <laughs> And a full blue hand on my side, so I could only swing for eight and arsenal a blue card that I really didn't want, and I wasn't playing um, Crown of Providence to get rid of it, so it meant two below average turns for me. Even then, it was a pretty good final. Uh, I would say I was pretty ahead in that game. Um, he had uh, two Insidious Chills set out, and he finally fused... Uh, one ice vein, I had to get rid of all of my hand, and I thought, okay, let's take whatever he throws at me, regain the tempo, and try to try to end this. He was really low at that time. And um, I hit two really bad hands in a, in a row. It just happens. Sometimes you just draw four blues or, or whatever. And I just 
passed priority back to my opponent. I just blocked everything as I could and, and passed priority back to him. He didn't have a, 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 an arsenal. And he was able to pressure a lot during those two turns and it completely swinged the game in, in his favor. Uh, I believe it was like East Strike go again into Wounded Bull and uh, Winter's Bite into Fused Ice Bane, mm -hmm. a red Ice Bane. So it was like two extremely powerful turns in a row without an arsenal and it completely stole the tempo of me and, and I couldn't <laughs> come back from that but it was a pretty interesting finals it was definitely interesting a lot of people were were sort of tuned in uh, obviously for the first part because you, you know anytime that you're in a finals people want to watch it that's just a fact uh, you're you're a mainstay of of just pure <laughs> fab excellence but beyond that People want to see Bravo succeed, and we're going to get a little bit into Bravo a little later. I don't want to talk a little bit more about Birmingham, and uh, our good friend Az from Go Again Gaming wants to know what was the best uh, and worst part of your weekend, uh, you know, in terms of flesh and blood or outside of flesh and blood. And I got a, I got a video <laughs> message, and I, I, I'm going to see if I can't splice it into this. Uh, into this. Uh, I got a message from Az. Uh, who was out at the bar and just decided to send me the most loving and caring message? So I'll, I'll put it up here because he deserves to have it. It might not. You know what? Screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have that message lead off the episode. But uh, besides that, Pablo, what was the best and worst part about the UK uh, and Birmingham specifically? I would have to think about the best part, but I'm pretty sure I have the worst one. Um... <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is this is going straight to the tourism board of Birmingham, by the way. Go ahead. Um, uh, we were arriving like pretty late on Friday. Uh, my friends couldn't take days off work, so we got a plane to arrive there at like half past twelve in the night of Friday, and our flight got delayed, so we ended up getting there much much later, like three a.m. in the morning, something like that. And the first thing that happened as soon as I set my foot in, in the United Kingdom uh, was that we had to take uh, this shuttle, this this bus, from the airplane to the airport, right? Drives you mm -hmm. to the, and it was like extremely packed, like a lot of people in in that in the, the shuttle. So we we just told the the people that we would wait for the next one, but they say that. We could just jam in, like just push, uh, get in, inside that, that saddle, and and this way we don't have to, to fleet another one, you know? So we got into the bus, we were like totally cramped, we were yeah, like extremely, extremely, um, you know. Yeah, you're, you're all just like <laughs> sardines in a can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I have this little girl uh, just just uh, on, my, on my right side, and she was doing like strange faces. And I gotta tell you, I know, I knew that this was going to happen. Like, as soon as the saddle takes off, she starts <laughs> and throws all over me. <laughs> right on top of you? <laughs> okay, that's not Birmingham's fault, but I can understand how that, if that's like your first UK experience, like you get off the plane and they, they literally just plunger you into a shuttle and then you get vomited on at first movement. <laughs> that's the worst thing it ever. Was, it was amazing. I, I tried to jump, you know, to the side, but it was like so packed that uh, everyone just crumpled more together trying to avoid you know the the area of, <laughs> yeah. of, of, of the puke and uh um 
you know what happens when a shuttle is really, really packed. It's really hot and someone barfs inside. Oh, my God. How long was the drive, dude? A lot, yeah, like five to ten minutes and a lot of people were getting really, really sick in there. Oh, my <laughs> God. That is the freaking worst thing ever. And just think, this all could have been avoided if the if the dude just said, yeah, we'll send another shuttle. Like, just wait yeah. another ten minutes. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. That's so gross. Well, there you go, Az. You got, you got a of the of the air we went outside of the airport and one of my friends said well we have uh me and my friends had already been in birmingham another time to play a grand cote for legend of five rings it's kind of like a calling um i also lost finals there by the way um <laughs> just throw that in yeah <laughs> and um he he told us that he completely remembered a shortcut to our hotel so we just followed him, and I'm pretty sure we trespassed private property. Um, we were in a place where we really didn't know where we were. We had to like jump over fences and, and that to, to get to the to our hotel. And this was this was like 3 a.m. and I was puked on. Like amazing peak UK experience, you know? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you went to like a soccer match, like with a whole bunch of kids. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like mission impossibling yourself to the hotel because some eight-year-old girl decided that she wanted like tater tots at like 11 p.m. <laughs> you just puked all over you. Oh, God. Uh, you made it, though. Like, that's the good news, I would imagine. Oh, and, and the hotel was amazing. Like, it was like finding, you know, an oasis. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of all of them. Uh, well, we're all glad that you made it, and that was that's one hell of a story. Again, it seems like a lot of your success is off the back of these really horrible starting chapters. It's like, okay, Pro Tour, Pro Tour New Jersey, start 0-2, well, that sucks, okay. And then you win, and then Birmingham, you get to the finals, but not before going on a, a Lord of the Rings-esque trek through people's backyards covered in puke. So that's uh, that's pretty impressive. But uh, in Birmingham, I'm curious, you know, the meta at that tournament and, and the discussion of what the tournament scene will look like, competitive play is now approaching um, national season. We've got like a Realm Brawl. We've got a Battle Hardened in uh, Atlanta coming up. There's a whole lot of cool stuff you know, that's going to precede nationals and all the tournaments prior to this, like post dust till dawn, the landscape of the meta, the top eights have kind of been very wishy-washy. Do you think that this is going to settle or is this meta that we're in purely going to be a situation of whatever the last best information is? For example, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, Lexis and Dromais uh, in the top eight. Then it's like, you know, some Azalea, sorry, not some, there was an Azalea, a Levia, some more Dromais, and suddenly there's a lot of Bravos and Katsus out there that are probably preying on the Dromais, etc. Is is it going to settle, or do you think that the meta is uh, a continuous flux? Meta is constantly evolving. Uh, it has always happened, but... It happens way more when we have new heroes that haven't been solved yet. You know, maybe they aren't they aren't all that competitive, but they haven't been solved yet. They they are better builds for for them. I'm pretty sure. Um, Lexi also took quite the hit, and especially against fatigue strategies, and they haven't really adapted 
to that as well. I believe that explains Bravo's success at this last tournament. Uh, Katsu emerged to to punish those Dromais. Um, we have seen like meta constantly evolving. Icelander has been on top of these tournaments, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, there haven't been so many Icelanders in the top cats. But she has like some really good conversion to winning to winning events. So you have to take that in consideration as well. Like there are, there are a lot of moving pieces in this meta, like mm -hmm. a lot of decks that just counter each other. And uh, and it's extremely interesting. Uh, I'm not that happy that I have to work more for, for my CC testing for Nationals, uh, but it's extremely, extremely interesting. Uh, I really enjoy this, this kind of puzzles as a player. Like this, this makes preparing for an event much more fun. Because Certainly. it can give you a really, really good advantage over most of the field if you are able to, you know, correctly read the metagame in advance and, and you know, adapt your deck choices to that. I agree. Not that I did. Not that I did in this tournament. I just default to my, you know, comfort pick. I just default to Bravo because nothing else was working. <laughs> it was not, you know, trying to read the meta or anything like that. I just played every deck and I wasn't feeling comfortable with any of them. So I just took the cool old Bravo and, <laughs> and have a nice day. Sometimes like when, when, when you're entering a meta or a field where there's significant uncertainty in terms of what to expect or whatnot, one thing to, that you can rely on is the familiarity of a deck that you know. Whereas if you go in with a deck that you're uncertain of, now you're stacking the uncertainty of their decks to the uncertainty of your own, and that just is difficult. If you've got a solid foundation of guardian or or you know i'm a ninja player i'm this sometimes it's just the the way to go and that's good advice uh you know all the way through so uh, i i want to ask uh, on behalf of andreas vo4 on twitter as uh as you as you dem are uh, i'm sorry if i'm pronouncing that incorrectly asking how much for the gold foil mask and i i'm not sure what Ooh. mask he's referring to uh but maybe you can help so, us so uh, i always open my gold foils i always always open them like I don't know. It's like kind of a ritual with with my friends uh, when any of us uh, get one of them. So we recorded the video, and I was lucky enough that my uh, sealed gold foil from from the tournament was uh, Mask of Humanity. It's incredibly beautiful, um, but I really don't know its price. I'm not expert, not an expert on on the gold foil market. I need to check with people that know much more than me and <laughs> will tell me how to proceed with this with these things um actually i have been like pretty overwhelmed because as i have said i have never considered me a, a pro player you know i have been pretty successful in other games but there was almost no money involved and so starting off my win on new jersey uh there's a lot of money on, on you know on winning flesh and blood tournaments in the competitive um, program and uh it feels extremely strange to me you know merging uh, no feeling like my hobby is giving me money and i can just you know get something out of it like i have been playing card games for 20 plus years no you can so, say it i'm yeah i'm at 25 years of, of playing card games so you, you, there's no shame in it we're still young pablo we're still young um 
Well, it actually it actually feels quite funny because I'm used to be uh, like uh, the broadest Purlock of other games. I used to be like this young player, and now I see him, and I'm like, oh. I have gotten old. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you, Pablo? Amazing, amazing guy. Uh, Twenty-eight. Oh come on, that's you're fine, dude. I'm thirty-seven. We're we're all okay, man. We're 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 doing oh, of fine. Course. Well, we're all okay. I'm just I just feel old. Uh, I, me, you, I know? you know what? And I feel it because like when you do the grind, I could only imagine what that kind of takes out of you from a mental, physical standpoint. Traveling a lot, practicing, etc. What what really caught me off guard was when you said that you don't consider yourself a pro player. But I guess once you start winning tournaments and just kind of you know scoring that way, it's a it's a pretty big deal. And it's it's also you know I, I've never been in that position to say that I can positive EV the tournaments I get into get get them you know get financial compensation just by putting the work in. But you you know you scored a, a significant win. Uh, in New Jersey, um, you know, you have that. You, I would imagine you sold the chain card. You know, I heard that you sold the chain card for a significant sum, plus all the winnings and whatever. I have spoken to people, especially from Europe, and, you know, some of the, the you know, from my, my past of doing competitive uh, digital games like Gwent, where some a player will win $50,000 USD coming from a very small European country like Moldova or something. And they would say they're like 50,000 USD to me is like five or six years of salary. And, and it's like, it's a massive fortune and it's life changing, which allows them to, you know, improve their life and go through it for yourself. Winning this much, has this changed your outlook in terms of career, in terms of, of how you approach things? Have you taken a full on, uh, you know, like Michael Hamilton quit his job to focus on this. What was your trajectory after winning Pro Tour and, and saying, you know what, there's there's financial gain in this? It actually completely changed my life. I want to go at it, you know, like um, I finished my studies. Uh, I have a law degree. I finished my studies like four years ago, something like that. I have been studying since then to to get a job working for the government. I need to pass an exam to do that. It's a pretty difficult exam. Most people spend uh, several years studying for it. Uh, I got hit with the all this COVID situation and it completely threw <laughs> my studies and my balance off and just uh, lost a lot of focus. Um, so yeah, I don't have. I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> I won't. I won't lie to you. I only was able to travel to to New York because I won a road to national and they were giving these extended art uh, Fiendal uh, Springs tunics and I was able to sell the tunic for a good amount and I thought hey I haven't worked for this money this, this is just falling falling from heaven to me you know I haven't done anything so I will use it to travel a bit more I was already qualified because I won a, a ProQuest here in Spain, and, and I thought, hey, let's go, let's play the, the first Pro Tour, let's, let's visit New York. And yeah, <laughs> since then, um, I do have much more money than I used to. Uh, sure. Actually... Well, it's, it's earned, man. You earned it. And that's what a lot of people, and I, I want to just say this, I just want to interject, because a lot of people feel like they're shy or timid about the fact that they're winning this money, but you earned that money by practicing, by playing, by going through the grind. So don't don't ever feel like, you know, it's it's a shy aspect, dude. That's your money. You you earn that money. 
it, it makes me shy though it's you know I get that. I it's see like, it. I see it in your face. You, you know, it's like you don't want to mention. And if, trust me, none of your long lost relatives are listening to this podcast who are going to hit you up for cash. So don't worry about it, Pop. Um, actually, my family didn't believe that I was getting that much money. Like <laughs> for I, playing a I, card game? <laughs> I, I actually have to show them the numbers on my bank account. Oh, by the way, my bank account got uh, shut off because uh, uh, this, this is really good. Because they thought that I was... Uh, how is the term in English? Uh, this laundering money. Oh like, yeah, no, you, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> my, my bank account went from like five hundred to a lot, and uh, and it was just it it happened when I traveled back from from the United <laughs> States. So they thought that I was like dealing drugs or something. For sure, you're in New Jersey. You got you got hooked up with the Soprano crew, and they just <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and I had to talk with a lot of people on my bank and, and I had to show them like receipts and, and, and you know, everything just to get my account back. It was like a pretty funny situation. That is that, that's hilarious. Um, well, here you are again, life changed uh, a law degree in your back pocket, which is incredible. And it, it's it's funny to me because like as soon as I embarked on my career, I left like a I left a pretty lucrative management, like communications management position at a huge company. It was going well. I was getting paid well, but it was not what I wanted to do. Uh, ultimately, I had to explain to my parents, especially my dad, because my dad was an executive at that company, and I had like he had retired from there and whatever, and he was so proud that I was like following in the footsteps and whatnot. And I had to explain to him, I'm like, I'm leaving the company to do this, and he's like. What the hell is that? He's like, I will support you no matter what you want to do, but what the hell? And then I started explaining to him about, you know, the grind and how I've been working. And the difference between you and I is that your payouts are so much bigger and you have a law degree to fall back on. I, I, I have a political science degree that I don't want anything to do with. Um, but that's nice. That's nice. It's good to have, I suppose. It's in a drawer at my parents' house. I don't even know where it is, but... Um, I want to move forward and talk a little bit about the strength of Bravo. Bravo right now is my favorite hero. Guardian is my class. I love it. I'm an Oldham guy through and through. Um, the strength of Bravo. You said it was your comfort pick. And the way that I kind of devise it or discuss it uh, in terms of from a meta perspective is in the meta, there are usually the problems and the solutions. And for example, for me, an, a solution hero is like Kano. Kano will come in, find the perfect metaphor for, for Kanos to pop off where they're disrespected and just have an exquisite run to a top eight or whatever. Um, but then there's heroes that are the problem, which are, you know, the Lexis that'll always be there, the Dromais and whatnot. What would you classify Bravo? Is Bravo a problem hero or is Bravo a solution hero? I do think that Bravo is a solution hero. He's more more often a meta pick, and he's easily countered by a lot of cards. You know, distant uh, that gives plus four defense, uh, red, red unmovables. It's easy to touch against Bravo, and but he's extremely good into some specific metas. You know, and now that the old man is gone, uh, I loved old him as much as, as, as the next guy because I'm I'm a guardian player at heart. But um, he was like extremely dominant. 
he was overshadowing Bravo in every way possible. He was even better than Bravo at playing a Bravo deck, as <laughs> as we demonstrated on on Antwerp. Um, so so yeah, I'm happy that he's gone and and we were able to receive some new and shiny tools for Bravo. Uh, Starstruck is one hell of a card, um, and I'm really happy because. Brabus is a really rewarding deck to play as well. One, there are several matchups that you just have to try to high roll them and, and pressure and you know keep throwing disruption on them. But there are other matchups where you are able to get to your second cycle, and those matchups are beautiful, like you know mirror games playing against Romai, and I really really like them. Um, it feels like there is almost no lack. Uh, involved, you know, there is always lack involved, but you know that you can control it to a to a certain degree, and it is like really rewarding. I I totally agree. You mentioned Starstruck. Starstruck was a card that um, I needed a hundred percent as soon as it was printed, and it took opening sixty boxes at uh, Realm Games in Ohio. We all sat down and opened like for their stock and their singles. And I said, I'm like, the first three Starstrucks we open are sold. I'm buying them, whatever the hell price they are. And it took the 60th box, the last box, for us to find the third copy, which was a little bit of oh. a, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a, uh, um, you know, we opened like 10 Warmongers Diplomacies, 10 or 12 of those, which were like the valuable Majestic. But talk to me about Starstruck and this inclusion, because... The Bravo deck, other than Starstruck, hasn't really changed, I, I suppose, other than, you know, the meta or whatnot. It's this it's the same core, it's just the approach. Aggro, control, what are you choosing? And ultimately, you know, Bravo right now sort of slotting in for the control fatigue-ish kind of oldem build. But Starstruck as a card is one that uh, I want to talk a little bit of, of a few of the picks that you had in your deck tech uh, to discuss. Uh, some of this, and, and one of them being Starstruck. So tell us a little bit about the strength and the reach of Starstruck. Mm. So as you have said, like the core the core of uh, Bravo's deck haven't changed all that much since I started into the game, and I just seamlessly copied uh, Kale McCreed's deck, you know, back in the day. I started playing th those decks. And um, yeah, it hasn't changed that much. You're running Pamos, you're running Common and Conquers, you're running... Crippling and, and Spinal Crash. Uh, the neat thing is that you have another, you know, Time Walk effect, kinda, in, in one of your cards. And Starstruck is is all, all that you wanted. It's a, it requires either a full hand or a seismic, to a seismic Surge token to be played, but it usually leads in a Time Walk to your opponent. He, he just uses all of his hand to defend or just eats the effect and cannot do much on their on their own turn. So it is an extremely, extremely powerful card. It is a yellow card as well that is really good just to to not get these horrible four red hands. Uh, if you get a star track and another red card, you can pitch both of them to swing with another with uh, with another for six. And that is pretty good uh, if you're getting you know a full red hand. And it also has unity. Uh, if you defend with a star track and another card from your hand uh, you get a Seismic Surge token that allows you to, you know, maybe play a Spinal Crash with only one blue if you have uh, another Seismic Surge from, from the last turn, or a Choke Slam of, of one blue like I did in, in the semifinals. Like, that's extremely powerful. Um, so we got a card that pitched pretty well, being a yellow, 
uh, has like this kind of extremely powerful effect if, if you add the the three blues, so you can dominate it and then walk your opponent. And it also has like another effect if you're blocking with it. Like I don't think you can ask for more on a card. You know, it's like pretty perfect. <laughs> it does so much. It has so much reach. And um, I remember playing it and against certain heroes. You dominate that bad boy, and they just like you said, it's a time walk. That you get an extra turn uh, against low to the ground attacks, threes and fours. They can't do anything with it and um obviously it's it's bad against other heroes ultimately but it's it's not a card that you cut because it's not a red um and it blocks for three and pops dragons and does a whole create seismic surges on block like it's just it's just a very efficient card and uh the other card question i had here was the sudden you know, inclusion of the steel braid buckler as the offhand. Mm. Now, I thought I was being cute and and smart when uh, about a, when Dustal Dawn launched. There was a tournament. Uh, it was Battle Hard in Cincinnati. I played Rampart with Titan's Fist into the Rune Blades uh, to block their arcane, the Rune Chance. They usually had some leftover uh, leftover resources. I would you know slide in the rampart of the ramp's head and they would break chain create another you know make another thing and then i'd get extra value i thought i was being smart and then i saw the um the buckler instead of rampart altogether and then i felt less smart i want you to just dis maybe dis uh you know discuss the inclusion of steel braid buckler a uh, steel braid buckler uh, versus rampart and in what matchups that goes in I don't think uh, Rampart is a bad choice, but you do have to tailor your deck to Rampart. You need to find ways to spend those extra resources. You know, Odin could just Rampart crown and it was fine, but you need to play, you know, like uh, maybe Strong response more than just the, the red ones. You maybe need uh, Peace of Minds or, or you know, you, you need effects where you use those two resources. And I believe it can be quite good because Rampart of the Ram's Head is an extremely powerful card. We we all have seen its power. It is really good on itself against Rune Blades, as you have mentioned, because you can just pack Arcane Barrier One or something, and and you're being extremely efficient with with your with your uh, with pitching a card uh, to stop Arcane. Uh, but yeah, ultimately I feel that Steel Braid Buckle doesn't need you to work all that much around it. You can just slam it on your bad matchups. Uh, on matchups where you know you won't be able to swing your hammer with two cards or, or you know, have a three-card hand to play um, Sealus into, into an Athos for six or, or um, I don't know, uh, Tierra Sander. Uh, so those matchups where you... You know you're going to be on the defensive side, and I'm talking about mm, Room Blades, Rangers, Usuri. You know that you're going to block with most of your hand. So Steel Blade uh, the battle is just free on those matchups. It's much more free that you're usually running, and you're usually running a ton. I believe it amounts like nine, uh, 13, 13 block or 12 block or something like that. It's it's completely amazing, uh, just on equipment. Um, and you're, you already have the Titan's Fist, which is pretty much uh, 
really you know good value wise exchanging a blue for for a four attack so it was included for those matchups mm, bravo actually has uh, a much better chance of defeating Runeblades that he had in the past. Uh, it has always been quite of a bad matchup for him. Uh, and they have also received uh, the Carapaz, this new chest that blocks for 2 and 1, and it's really good against Crash Effects. But uh, you received the Warmonger's Diplomacy, and you know, <laughs> that card is really good against them. So you, st you stay on the defensive side of the game until they fumble a hand. You know, oh, Bisai has just throw for non-attack actions. Uh, you can regain the tempo. Oh, you have uh, hit one of your warmongers. You can regain the tempo. And uh, Buckle just helps you survive till that point. And you won't have excess cards to, to play with with an Athos anyway. So it doesn't damage your, your game plan. Just think that that, that card on Oldham was Stalagmite that gave you your opponent. <laughs> like, it, it's just like every time you revert back to what Oldham was at its peak, you're like, okay, so you had that, but you had Rampart as a secondary option, plus you had Winter's Whale, which also, get, it was just like the most, in retrospect, I, I, I and then you had, uh, a, you know, the Eisen, uh, Pulse of Eisenloft, like just for fun. Like, let's just throw in a six block that double fuses. It was unreal. Absolutely unreal. Uh, there's Stalagmite. Stalagmite is actually one of the most fused equipments in the whole game. Like, we are going to discuss it later, but it is one of the cards that I would definitely call broken. Okay, you know, that's a great question because we, we are going to get to, uh, we are going to, I want to cruise through a couple of questions from listeners here and then we're going to get to the topic of what broken cards and heroes are because that term is tossed around, um, you know, a little bit too too freely but let's go with a question here from ice in my veins gaming asked do you think that oh having an oasis respite in arsenal at the end of the game in the finals would have saved you and bought you uh, a pivot into the end of the game since storm striders would have already popped that's a good question now when i was building oldham's um not oldham's when i was building bravos and you know the playing it online oasis respite is a card that i would always lean on precisely for the um, you know, it's it's like the ultimate arsenal card. You find it against any wizard, you jam it in arsenal, and you kind of feel better about yourself. You feel very protected. You didn't have that card in any of your lists, and uh, players like Clark Jensen also mentioned, he's like, you don't need it. You definitely don't need it. Have you kind of changed or waffled on that a little bit and said maybe it's a card I should include if Icelander is a little bit more prominent? I do prefer playing Steel of Solace instead of instead of Oasis Respite. It is really difficult to fight the second, you know, the optional part of Oasis Respite of being at lower health than than Icelander. And if you're at lower health than Icelander, you're pretty screwed up and <laughs> Oasis is not going to save you. <laughs> um, it is a good card, a really good card against Kano. Uh, I would include it if, if I thought Kano would be, like, you know, like a big part of the meta. If not, I believe I just prefer having more blues in my deck. Um, you know, if you have Arcane Barrier 3, it is almost the same as playing uh, an Oasis Respite. You can have it in your arsenal, but as I have said, I would prefer uh, playing uh, Seal of Solace then. And I did have Seal of Solace in my deck. Uh, because it also helps you, you know, bluff sometimes with, with Pamel and, and Common and Conquer, things like that. 
So, so yeah, I don't think it ha it would have uh, changed anything. As I have said, I lost because I completely lost the tempo of the game. I was low enough that any attack could put me in, in killing range of of Storm Striders plus the Cardinal Arsenal plus Winnie Moon. And I didn't have a way to pivot into the offensive with my full hand. If I would have been able to to be you know there with my full hand, I had a uh, Rose the Ancients in my arsenal, maybe it could have win. But, uh, yeah, uh, stopping the, the, those Arcane's damage, I would have survived, but it wouldn't have changed anything because I would still be on the defensive at, you know, five life, and it is just impossible. Sounds good. Next question is from uh, Fadir uh, Kokan, asking, mm -hmm. nice would, uh, would be interested to hear what unusual sideboard decisions for the latest Bravo build, like, for example, Blue Finals Fighting Spirits and Staunch Responses. This is a question I had, too, because I get the fact that it's a blue three pit or three cost. It, you know, it, it, it activates your Titan's Fist. It does things like that. But it's a two block that, yeah, it gains you a life, but it's like a conditional three block in that regard. I'm really wondering, was this, my assessment is that this was brought in for, like, shore up lexi matchups that have a lot of five cost arrows where you do get the benefit of the, the the extra three block you're like you're not you're getting change back almost uh instead of a three block you got you hit it right on the head oh it is, yeah <laughs> it is a card against lexi uh, yeah um it um it usually is played on the on the yeah spot where we used to play the card that tutors um that tutors oh, uh, um, yeah uh, imposing visage imposing visage yeah i forgot the name um it is usually played in the in the place of uh imposing visage that it was a card that was used to block like 97 percent of the time something like that yeah so it's it's not like it came at a high cost it, as you have said it costs three for both uh an office and and titan's fist and blocking a five power attack or a four power attack and winning back one life can be game changing, uh, especially against Le against Lexi. Games against good Lexi players are really really close, and we found that it usually leads to winning. You know, two. If you blocked with them two times in in a game, maybe you would win because of those two lives. It also has this. Uh, small advantage of being able to coupled with an eight cost attack like cranial crash or or thunderquake you can play uh rose the ancients mm, okay it, it adds to the 13 uh, requirement of the rose the ancients so it has that small advantage as well yeah like the the they, they, they kind of punished me on the finals though it, they are they aren't really good against uh, icelander because you will never be you will never have less life than her, and they are only good uh, to pitch. So if you have to block with your ha with your whole hand, and, and I got stuck with a hand I needed to block with, and I had two of them and uh, Rose the Ancients. So my whole hand blocked at nine, and it was like the Rune Blade experience, you know, but in Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's just um, it's a unique you know call here because again, it does come down to like one or two life. The amount of times I've I've lost to Lexi's where it's like, I wish I can just take this one extra damage or I could, I wish I could disrespect the 
potential uh, rain raisers that I think that they have in their arsenal or whatever, you know, things like that. And it just never happens. And I get it now because it's, it's a two block, but it also, you can pair it up with your tech plating to block a four and gain a life. Like I can see where you're not in a game of incremental percentage points of value. Getting that one extra life is important. And the other question I wanted, and this is for me, is that Heart of Fyandal is not in the list, which I, I can see why it's, it doesn't turn on the hammer or, or Anathos or anything. It gains you life. Is And from a defensive deck, is this merely because you suspect that you're just always going to have a higher life total? Or what's the, the, the reasoning behind not having the Heart of Fyandal? Mm. Heart of Finder is a really risky card to include in a deck that cannot pitch on your opponent's turn for anything. Mm, you sometimes need to block with your whole hand, and it doesn't block, and it isn't like really good with um, Titan's Fist. So if you have an extra an extra spot on your on your sideboard and you want to include it, that's fine. It's a really good card to to include. It is extremely good in the in the mirror matchup. And um, and I can see it being really good against Rune Blades, where you can just pitch it to to stop arcane damage. But uh, we don't have like a reliable source of pitching, like you know the Rampart um, on our opponent's turn. So I, it seems like a risky a risky inclusion to me. It is really good in its in its appropriate deck. I've seen a lot of people doing this mistake, you know, like I know you have paid. 500 plus dollars for your for your heart of Fiendal, but don't include it in every deck like <laughs> i have seen i have seen them being played in room blades and i was like no why why are you doing this <laughs> yeah i know no. it's really, really expensive and you want to you know to, to get back your value but don't do that <laughs> yeah like there, there's a reason why you don't bring your brand new you know air jordans to the to you know to the racetrack or something like that like at, at a certain point there's a time and place to show off the bling that's got to be it uh, we got another question. This one is a little bit deeper, um, not pertaining to card selections, but I do want to ask you because uh, whether you like it or not, you are a pro. Um, Boston Games asks, is fatigue a real problem in the game? And I don't think it is. I, I think that oftentimes decks have to lean on their strengths in order to win certain matchups. And Guardian at a certain point will never outpace Alexi on damage, so you kind of have to sit back and take it. But do you believe that fatigue as a concept um, is something that LSS has to be cognizant of to not basically divert a meta into the the ultimate question of does this beat fatigue? I do think that LSS has to design around fatigue quite a bit. But I do think they have already done it. Like if, if if you realize most cards are much more valuable using them to attack than to defend. You know, you're you always have more value when you're attacking than when you're defending. Um I do think that fatigue can get problematic when you get effects like the Earth React or the Crown Plus Rampart on on Oldim. Because you could block and not lose cards from your deck. Or you know the drones. The drones is the perfect example. Um, there was a blitz battle harden going on during the second day of Colin Birmingham. Uh, I believe the tournament was won by a fatigue Ira, and one of the matches was Ira versus a fatigue um, 
Riptide. And the end game was just slam my my drone, block with two drones, slam my drone, block with two drones, slam my drone, block with two drones, you know? And it was like this this uh, this never ending cycle of of just throwing them. And it gets like if they don't give you a way to cheat cards in your deck and have like an infinite amount of cards in your deck, I don't think that fatigue is a problem. There are lots of tools to to defeat fatigue. It usually it usually is a bad experience for like an experienced players because it relies on pitch stack, knowing your deck, knowing you know how to properly maximize your damage output in you know the most concentrated time possible so it you know it relies on having a pretty decent understanding of the game and i do understand it can be uh, like a negative experience for for newer players but on a competitive level i don't think it's bad at all um i do think that it would be really bad if the only if the only chance you have to win a game is just throw cards on your opponent's face and, and hope that you're racing more than him or her. Uh, I don't know. That that doesn't seem like a fun, fun game to me. You can do that. It's fine. I have played Fi. I love Fi. But um, at the end of the day, you want to have like several strategies or several ways to attack the meta. And it's fine seeing how, how Bravo has, for, for example, uh, shaped up in Birmingham to you know to stop these rangers from just ruining pure value in their in their decks. You have to respect value. You have to in- include cards to fight. Uh, you have to respect fatigue, and you have to include cards to fight against fatigue in your deck. And uh, the same goes for Dromai or you know or Icelander. Icelander always respects fatigue because he has Frost Hex and Ice Eternal and can kill you with a combo. But you know it's it's good that you have to. To have the proper knowledge of your deck and the proper sidebar decisions to be able to fight these strategies, because there are tools available to every deck to fight in fatigue. Broken. Broken is a term, Pablo, <laughs> that makes my skin crawl to a degree because much like October and pumpkin spice, it is just abundant and overused to the degree that it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I hate pumpkin spice, by the way. Are you a pumpkin spice type of person, Pablo? We don't have that in Spain. Good, good. Another reason why uh, going to Spain for Worlds is a great thing to do around that time of year. Um, Ultimately, the term broken has been used in card games forever uh, and to me what when somebody says broken now i have been my mind has essentially just trained itself to say okay it's not broken it just you can't beat it that's that's what it is um ultimately there are things that are broken and i trust lss and balance in order to fix things and address it that turn in that way but i want to ask you pablo what does the term broken in relation to card games means what does that mean to you Hmm, that's a really good question. Uh, it is something, I would define it as something that breaks the rules of the game. You know? Uh, something that allows you to bypass some kind of rules of the game. Like, these cards uh, draws you, like, three extra cards. Maybe, like, three of a kind, or, you know? Yeah, three of a kind is kind of broken, you know? Because it allows you to bypass one of the core concepts of, of the game. 
but broken cards are not an issue on itself. Like a game needs uh, broken cards to make games exciting. Like every deck has has unfair. I, I do prefer the term unfair to refer to to this kind of cards. Every deck ha has a need of unfair cards to be to be fun, you know. I mean, Crippling Crash is a completely unfair card if you couple it with three three blues. You know, you're taking eight damage and probably losing your turn and you can't do anything on response. That, that's broken. Yeah, of course. But decks do need those kind of cards. Or Haymakers. I have seen people refer them as, as Haymakers. Uh, they're, they're great. On, on uh, you know, you have to be careful with them. But they are great because they are what gives you... Um, what gives you uh, maybe an incentive to to build a deck around them, like Channel Mount Heroic. Channel mm -hmm. Mount Heroic is broken, of course it's broken, but you need to work for it to be broken. Your your whole deck is constructed around Channel Mount Heroic being being boosted, you know. So I don't think that's bad for the game. It is really difficult to balance, though, and I really respect LSS for for the work they have done over. The years I have been played because they are really good at their job. I most of the time I really don't understand what they are doing with their banner resisted lists. And after testing for a couple of weeks, I go like, oh, oh, they really know what they are doing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, the, the the first realization where I you know I just didn't I didn't get it is when they banned Autumn's Touch. That band Ooh, that, that was that was surgical, right? Exactly. Incredible. Surgical is such a good word for that too, because <laughs> nobody in the in the entire scope of the internet, where everybody was <laughs> anticipating what the bands would be to sort of rein in Starvo to a specific degree, et cetera, here, there, whatever. The one card that nobody called, I think, was Autumn's Touch, and if and if you called it out there in Radio Land, then I. Please show me the receipts. I will absolutely give you props, but nobody called it. And what's fascinating to me is that the good players were, were seeing this and saying, you know what? That makes sense. Like that makes a lot of sense because it's a one less earth card that blocks for three that now you have to, and like the little, like you mentioned, surgical precision strike bands. And when it came to it, a lot of people, when they banned um, bullseye bracers for Lexi, were like, who cares? Who cares? What does it matter? I was, I was one of those guys. I was one hundred percent sure that uh, banning uh, the the bullseye bracers wouldn't be enough. And here I am, completely mistaken another time. You know, and I have I have no. There's no shame in, in admitting it. They are extremely good at at uh, you know at doing this banner restricted list and balancing the game. Like it's amazing. I have nothing but the utmost respect for, for the design and the balance team of LSS. I mean for all of them, but those two are always like surprising me with, with their decisions. So a lot of people now that Icelander has kind of just, you know, ripped off three major tournament wins in a row are back on the train of Icelander being quote unquote broken. But there was this long stretch of, of real estate where essentially Icelander didn't change and wasn't winning jack squat. So is Icelander quote unquote broken or is Icelander just strong in this pocket of time while people are figuring out new stuff? 
Icelander has a lot of unfair cards, as I have as I have referred earlier, or unfair plays. You know, um, one of them being the channel like frigid on your opponent's turn, and being able to make it stay on the board for two more turns. That's like completely backbreaking, and it can win a game on itself. But yeah, you're you're playing a deck that doesn't deal that much that much damage outside of of a few key cards. Uh, yeah, she's an extremely powerful hero. Uh, instant speed is, is so so much powerful than than just regular actions with go again. And uh, and she has access to another really unfair card that is uh, Storm Striders. But I don't think she's like a bad thing for the game. I would love to have like better ways to fight against uh, ice, no, not Icelander on itself, but you know frostbite, uh, because there are several classes that can't do anything if if they just got a full red hand and 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 get a frostbite, they they just got completely demolished. Um, I do understand though that uh, maybe the little was. <laughs> A little bit too much. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, uh, I don't think I don't think Icelander is broken. I don't even think Icelander is the best hero in this meta. I do think she's a, she's an extremely consistent deck, and there are several specialists out there like Rhea or, or Samuel that just took their opportunity on on this uncertain meta we have now and have shown why she's. You know this extremely reliable hero, and and why Hamilton won all of those tournaments uh, back in back in 2022 with her. Um, it's kind of like Bravo coming back because it's just an extremely consistent deck. Well said. Um, well, and well, the Bullseye Bracers ban. I mean, Rangers were the worst matchup for Icelander, and the Bullseye Bracers ban has. Like this double double damage against Icelander because you don't have that access to that free arcane barrier. A lot of people kind of just remember the fact that, or you know, forget the fact that Bullseye had built-in arcane barrier one. So for an equipment that was already their first choice, you know, to to run to just have it in there, not have to make a concession on another piece. Like Bravo has to say, well, all right, if it's a rune blade, I just won't have my iron rots, and that's not a big deal. Uh, but still, it's one point of health or one point of damage, and if you're playing against the wizard, well, there goes my my hat or my gloves or whatever. For rangers, it was just like, no, it's business as usual, and when I'm in a position to win the game, I'm just going to break them, and it doesn't matter. I won't need the the arcane one. It was amazing that Asalia had two free arcane barrier oh. to her deck, because... Cross also has a game barrier built in. Yeah, you Rangers, man, you don't know. <laughs> um, last uh, last question about broken things, and a lot of people, when Codex of Frailty came out, it was the talk of the town. It was the the discussion piece majestic from outsiders as a set then warmonger's diplomacy makes uh, an appearance which uh, at first glance was a card you read 40 times and had to be explained but when you see the sheer potential to me it's a silver bullet card that really targets two or three you know meta decks that are out there it'll it'll shut down the rune blades it might mess with uh you know i'm it, you know uh, uh let's say a dromai or something that can't 
summon dragons or, or do one or the other thing. Ultimately, though, do you feel like these cards are, again, the term broken, or are they just very strong majestics, which in reality, sets need to have strong cards, and that's why they're at this rarity level? Mm. They, they are quite different, because... My main issue with with Warmonger's diplomacy is not that its effect. Its effect is is incredibly powerful into into some classes, but you know it, it is as you have said it's a silver bullet. It is only good against Runeblade, Rangers, and and things like that. Um, the problem, the issue I have with it is that it blocks three and it's a blue. So its its opportunity cost of including it in one deck is really really low. And its ceiling is extremely high because it can just win games you on on the spot. So mm, I have seen that design in, in other games uh, where you have like this kind of solution card. You you were talking about solution decks that are a solution to, to certain things. Uh, you have this card that is a solution to to certain things, but an answer. But um, it is. Maybe a bit too a bit too easy to include in your decks. If it blocked for two or if it was a red card, maybe it would be better because it would have been you know a sideboard choice maybe. But um, being able to run it in your in your main deck is is probably a little bit too powerful for for its effect. At first glance, I didn't even read the card, by the way, because I thought it was a multiplayer card. <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> I was like, it's a UPF card. Like that's what this is. Yeah. Um, well, on the Codex, Codex is uh, another kind of beast. Codex is probably the most efficient card in the whole game. Mm, I do feel like most of uh, Usuri's success success is directly tied to the power of of that card because it usually gives you like. 10 value out of one card, something, it's an extremely powerful card. Mm, but, but yeah, it maybe seems a bit too much because we have said that decks need a few high makers to, to you know, to be fun to play, uh, to have, like, different matches against them. Like, if you play against Lexi, it feels different because one day, one game they will fire several three of a kind, and another game they will play you know these huge rain racers, or another game you will get hit by, by these extremely efficient arrows. And it feels like really diverse. I do feel like Codex of Frail is probably a little bit too much. It did. If it gave your opponent the decision not to fill the arsenal and not to discard a card. Maybe it could have been better, but it just forces so much damage because you can just bring back cards with with extremely powerful on hits like uh, the Blue Rot Arrow or or Death Touch, and uh, or, or even cards that just break the arsenal like Common and Conquer or or a Live No Witnesses. So I do feel like it is probably a bit too much for the game. But hey, um, we have seen that there are like many answers to. To the ranger problem right now, and we don't have like an assassin problem, so we can still get it into the game. I like it. I like it. Um, 
that's that's basically it when it comes down to the broken uh, argument because to me it's just it's the first thing that people reach to on their hip to sort of fire back when you know well it's broken i don't think it's broken i think that you're just you're not winning against it which is fine uh, you know like and and that's part of the the fact that there's always going to be decks that are on top and there are always going to be people who are stubborn and lose to them and that's just kind of the the easy button to hit and say well it's broken so they you know suck the copium go for it it's really easy to to just um look over some broken cards that need you know a lot of work put into them to be you know unfair like channel more heroic it is extremely easy to say oh channel more heroics is an unfair card yeah because i'm ruining all of this city zero for four attacks with with go again you know well, they are not city, but you understand. Sure. Like, the decks that really, really, really uh, used the power, like Matthew Folks winning um, little Pro Tour uh, deck list, have a lot of, you know, underrated cards, cards that weren't that good for, for its own cost, but that they would work so good with Channel Moheroic. And then you're building a deck to exploit the power of one of your cards. So if you're building your whole deck to that, it needs to be broken. Of course it needs to be broken. I agree. Uh, definitely, definitely agree. Uh, ultimately, the worlds, the world championships, Pablo, are going to be in your neck of the woods. Um, Barcelona. Are you far from Barcelona out of curiosity? I'm like uh, two hours with, with high-speed train. Easy. And I just I just bought two, two tickets for like... 30 euros or something like that so okay well uh i am a little further but uh there's going to be the world will be converging on barcelona i believe it's in november for the world championships of flesh and blood you will be there um i hopefully will be there but i hope so i hope so too it's not up to me but i hope so too ultimately though um this is gonna be uh this is gonna be for our, our Patreon exclusive content. Uh, Pablo's gonna walk us through a few things about how to prep for just being in Spain, being in Barcelona. <laughs> He's gonna give us all of his tips and, and hints, as well as uh, I believe Pablo, you're gonna give me a a flesh and blood Spanish lesson lesson, right? have done my homework I uh, have them prepared wonderful wonderful so friends if you want to get access to the pablo pintor tourism board of uh, of advice uh, you can <laughs> sign up to the patreon go to uh, patreon.com slash instant speed the content will be there later in the week okay. all right well uh pablo thank you so much again for for everything on this show and uh you know uh, we're gonna have to uh i'm gonna see if I, I say this right uh tomar una cerveza uh how do you say together you always you always say that right yeah i try we have we have to tomar una cerveza juntos perfect that's what we're gonna do and i i i can't wait to uh to see you again or several several oh and it will be several look this is this this is the plan okay pablo is that if I get the green light that I'm going to be going to Worlds, which I, I genuinely have no idea. If, if it's, I want to go either way. Long story short is if I'm there, I plan on getting there early, as I think a lot of people want to do. And then I've got a couple days to just sit outside and tomar una cerveza. Or many. Or, or, or you know, or mas. Why por que uh, no mas? You know, like, let's keep going. 
you are already completely perfectly prepared to travel into Spain. You, you know the the basic the basic rules of well, and I, how everything work, works here. Well, I I want to thank two people for that. Number one, my my Polish Spanish Polish. teacher <laughs> from high school, uh, and you. Pablo Pintor for being such an amazing friend, ambassador to the game, and just this this you know electric personality that I think a lot of people know you for being this killer on the on the battlefield. But I do want people to know that you're just such a, a genuinely good person, a a wholesome, joyful, approachable, wonderful human being. And and you're you're going to make me blast here on camera. And and uh and yeah and uh and and again I I just we're lucky to have you and and it's uh it's it would be amazing if you you know won worlds or, or got in that top eight in your home country. So you got a lot of work to do and nationals I guess is the first order of business. It has been my honor being part of this community, and I had a great time on, on your show, Flake, as, oh, as always. You're the man. As I... always, when I'm with you, I had a really good time. <laughs> so this this hour and a half yeah, we, we has, has grown and just fly. Oh, it did. That's why I wanted to start early. I was like, I kind of want to talk to Pablo for longer than he wants to talk to me. So we're going to make it happen. Um Pablo, if people want to get in touch with you or, or find out a little bit more about what's going on in your mind, what's the best way to reach out to Pablo Pintor? Um, it would be my Twitter. Uh, or if you if you speak Spanish, uh, we do have a podcast going on every Thursday, uh, every Thursday night here in Spain. And we do have a lot of written content and, and all of that. But we're focusing on, on the Spanish community because there's no... There's there's a lot of problems with English in Spain. Like, um, you know, Spain is, is a country that came off like a dictatorship not that many years ago, and uh, we don't have like the English level other European countries has. So having access to content, flesh and blood content, is pretty difficult for a lot of people in Spain. So we're trying to cover that, and and we're doing our best, which is. Probably not nothing much, but we're trying, you know. Well, it's an, it's important, and uh, that's one thing that I've always tried to to accommodate. It's like when I was in when I'm in Poland or when I was in France or you know hopefully to be in Spain, I try my best to learn what I can. I'm a guest in your country. I, I don't. I you know it's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to accommodate me. I'm I'm there and I need to make my best options. So, uh, and and just the fact that you know, you guys are awesome. Uh, putting out Spanish content is important. Putting out content in all languages is important. And who better than the number one, the the Pro Tour number one champion who rolled it back from an zero and two, you know, uh, and, and then went to the finals in Birmingham, covered in puke. Uh, no sleep, just the the man himself, Pablo. You're you're a revelation, and I, I re- the only regret I have is that I it took this long to have you on the show because you're just an incredible human being. Thank you so much. No, uh, and and 
Uh, oh, I have to cut this here because I'm, I'm getting too, too much heat. Too much heat. Is it sweat or is it tears, Pablo? <laughs> Tell us the truth. Uh, but yes, thank you very much. And to everybody out there listening, again, be kind to one another. It's very important. To our sponsors at Kfabe Cards, go to kfabecards.com. Be who you want to be at Kfabe Cards. Of course, to our Patreon supporters, you guys really keep the lights on. I do sincerely appreciate it. A lot of the content, uh, exclusive stuff is going to be there if you want to be a patron for as low as two bucks a month you could support us go to patreon.com slash instant speed and uh i'm gonna take this opportunity also to invite you guys if you haven't already please leave a five-star review on whatever platform that you get podcasts in this algorithmocracy that we live in it's important uh for them to know that you like me we'll see you soon don't forget you're not losing if you're learning we'll catch you next time on isp well i work I work